Okay, so welcome to the Career Conversations podcast brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group. And I'm really excited today. I've got a, a colleague that uh, will we'll share some stories, I'm sure, about how we both started our business because we used to share an office in Newcastle. Uh, it's Summer McCosker. Uh, Summer is a highly successful business person in her own right. Uh, she's got a qualifications, let me just get this up on my screen, so I want to get this right. Uh, she did a Bachelor of Social <laughs> Science with majors in Criminology and Sociology, and she's also done her Master's in Criminology. And when I met her, I was like, shouldn't you be working for like ASIO or a spy or something like Criminology? So we're going to find out where that sort of degree takes you. So welcome to the podcast, Summer. Thank you. Thanks, Craig. Oh, yeah. we've got some stories. <laughs> it's been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> it has too long. So yeah, before we, we get to where we met, let's go back to the start. So where did Summer grow up? Where, did you, where were you from, Summer? Yep, so I grew up in the Foster Tunkari area on the North Coast and I actually lived, yeah, beautiful part of the world, great place to grow up. So I actually lived a bit out of town. We always lived out of town. So I lived in a place called Halliday's Point and um, also a place called Failford. And, but I always kind of- Is that, kinda is that where a ton of fun is? Yes, yeah, right. I've got a good yeah, my brother used to work at Tunafan. My one of cool. my best friends used to work at Tunafan. Yep. So we were just up the road from there. Awesome. Yeah. And so you you're a kid there growing up. Did you yeah, love science? So how did you get into criminology as a degree? Well, I, like I'm trying to think back yeah. of that process of, you know, was it a career advisor? Was it what you thought was, you know, someone goes, I'm going to be an accountant, I'll go and do commerce, or I'm going to be a physio, or I'm going to be some, where does criminology start? What's the nexus? Yep. So it came in when, you know, when you're in back then, um, sharing my age back then, you'd be doing your, it was the, you like you'd go through the, the yeah, guide. PR guide and say, yep. okay, what university? I knew I wanted to go to university and I knew I wanted to do sort of something corporate type. Um, I always had these dreams. That I, I want to work in Sydney and I want to wear a suit. You want to be a power suit lady. Yep, I wanted to be a power <laughs> suit person. So I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I loved, um, my mum was a legal secretary. And I really loved legal things. And I used to do, I did a lot of public speaking at school. I did mock trials. I don't even know if they still do that. I did debating. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I just loved it. Absolutely loved it. And so I knew that I wanted to do, and I loved, so my favourite subject was legal studies. And back when I did it, it was one of the first years um, that it came in to the curriculum. So I absolutely loved legal studies and I was good at it. And so I knew I wanted to do something legal type. So you didn't want to be and a lawyer though? Well, I didn't want to do the boring stuff. So, <laughs> and there's a bit of irony there. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to do contracts and all of that boring stuff. I wanted to do the criminal side. I was really, really interested in that. So then I went through the book. And I was like, oh, this Bachelor of social science and criminology and back then there was two universities that offered it western sydney and i think it was bathurst and i was like oh well bathurst is too cold so i don't want to go there so it was like western sydney so that's that's kind of and i also thought i might not get into law because i like to party a bit when i was in high school so i thought i probably won't get the ter that i needed or the uac or whatever it's called now so i thought oh okay Criminology at University of Western Sydney. So that's how I got into it. So 
a girl from Foster moves to Western Sydney for study, hey? Yeah. Yeah. How was that transition? It was interesting because I have an older brother. So he was at the University of New South Wales and his experience was so completely different to mine. So he was in a New South Wales university living on campus, doing all of those campus things. And I thought, oh, that sounds really great. But I didn't really know anything about University of Western Sydney and they didn't have any on-campus accommodation. <laughs> so I ended up living in a house, a shared house with um, a fellow from Canberra and uh, another person from Goulburn. And we were probably the only ones that had moved that weren't local to the university. It was quite a very small university at that time. There was only sort of 3,000 students. And it was a very different university experience. Where was the campus? Because that's got multiple campuses now, doesn't it? It does, yeah. So I was at Milpera. So, yeah, okay. Um, and when I would tell people Milpera, everybody used to just say, oh, that's where the Milpera biking massacre was. Is that, is that criminology because they wanted to be focused around where all the criminals were? Well, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> that's stereotyping maybe. to the max. It is. It's quite, <laughs> and, I, and I used to go to that pub too. It was a pretty cool pub. Okay. So, um, and I, it was, but it was good because it was kind of for, I guess, for a bit of a country girl. It had a real country atmosphere, and and it was nice in that respect. So it was it was it was good for me actually. Okay. So tell me when you decide. So like again, someone uh, takes up a commerce degree, and there's a, a pathway of accountant or finance or something down that sphere. When you decide to do criminology, did you know what? pathway or where you wanted to take that in terms of work once you were finished your degree not really so that's the interesting thing no and that would have been great to know back then <laughs> and I think I knew I wanted to do criminology whereas most of the people in my course because it was a social science degree so people didn't really know and I thought I wanted to do criminology and I want to do psychology because everybody wanted to do kind of psychology and I remember doing the first year of psychology and I went oh I really don't like this this is not for me so but the criminology was great I always really liked the criminology side and then that's why I ended up in um, doing a sociology major as well it was quite similar to criminology really. So what is sociology explain that to the listeners. So sociology, they, they're similar in that, so criminology is kind of the study of crime and the theory about crime. So why, hap why crime happens in certain areas, why people commit certain crimes, why they happen. Um, so we used to do things like, I remember one of the highlights I loved was we looked at all different architecture of prisons and how they, they would do things over the, over the, span of time and 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 how they would stop prisoners escaping and things like that yes and fascinating I've, I've been to alcatraz uh, oh, and, and they it. um yeah in san Fran, and they they talk about that they talk about mm. um what, what they actually they used to feed them um high carb meals so they would put on weight to make it more difficult to swim or or escape yeah well, that would make sense and to get yeah. to get out. So there was all of those, those things. So sociology kind of came in it because it's the social side of why, why society does things in certain ways and why people, so that's kind of the link to okay. sort of sociology and criminology. So you finish your degree. Do you stay in Sydney? What happens next? So well, I, we finished our degree and I remember I had a really great lecturer and she was, 
she was in the police and um, we all kind of said, because I, I remember moving from Foster to, to Sydney, I remember my parents saying, they used to sort of help me out with rent and I used to work through university and I was lucky that my parents helped me out paying rent. And I remember them saying, as soon as you finish your degree, some of that it, you're on your own. And I, <laughs> I, I remember going into this panic and, um, and I thought, I don't know what I want to do. I've finished this degree. Yeah, great. I've got this degree, but what does this mean? And I remember speaking to this lecturer and she was really helpful. And she said, well, this is the career path you can look at. So she, her advice was things like probation officers, prison officers, um, like sort of count, um, like youth officers, those, those kinds of jobs. Can I, can I just ask a question about those kinds of jobs? <laughs> Because they don't sound like power suit wearing jobs. No. <laughs> no. So um, it was interesting because I, 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 you're exactly right. And I thought, okay, maybe I could be a prison officer. And, but knowing myself, that would not have suited me at all. And, um, and it's very far from the suit wearing situation. So I, I didn't really know. So what I did was I was working in retail. I had a retail job all through school. I used to work for Suzanne Gray, worked with them for like seven years or something. And then, um, cause I was so panicked that I wouldn't have a job. I, I was offered a job with an ex manager of mine from Suzanne Gray. She was working in a shoe store. Okay. So I started working at Williams, the Schumann, and selling shoes full time. So degree, actually, degree, selling shoes. Yep. Uh, but this teaches you a lot, doesn't it? It did. I think, especially living in Sydney, you, you need an income. Like you need, yeah. so I, my core focus was I'm just going to get a job. And actually, I really loved retail. I loved working in retail. I loved the interaction with people. So I thought, well, you know what? Yes, I've got a degree, but I really love retail. So maybe I'll make that my career. So, so, so you, you kind of, cause I was trying to think that that would have been, okay, this is just a, a gap. I'm, I'm, I've, I've got this degree and I want to be a, you know, an important woman in business. I'm going to work towards that, but I need income. So I'm going to work in retail, but you'd kind of gone the opposite and gone, you know what retail, I like it. I might stick with it. I did. I thought if I can't, if I can't find what I want, from my degree, my thought was, I'm just going to be good at whatever I do. And I, I thought I'm going to go as far as I kind of can in this, in retail. So I had a lot of experience by then. Like I had seven years of experience in retail, even at sort of 21 or whatever I was, but I just kept, I did keep looking for jobs as they would come up. So I had a friend that became a parole officer. I had a friend that went down the welfare path. She should become kind of a counsellor and that kind of path. I had one that went on and did law. I had some that went joined the police force. So that's what people from my degree kind of did. Um, and then I, I got an opportunity, actually got an opportunity in retail. I was about to be given my own store in Sydney. So I, I in that gap year, I had worked myself up as just a standard full time. I was a 2IC and they were about to give me my own store. So I was about to become a store manager, which I was pretty excited about. And, and then this opportunity came up. And, um, and it's funny how things 
come up because my very, very first boss when I was 15, working at Suzanne Gray at Foster, my very first job, her son was an ex was in the police and he had uh, left the police and, and started working for this company that was doing fraud investigation and, and she, I was living in Sydney at the time. She, my mum went into the store. She told my mum about this job and the job had closed. Um, I rang him up and said, I'd like to apply. And he said, get your application in. And this was before computers. So I've, I've hand wrote an application. You're not that old. Oh, <laughs> yes, we are, Craig. <laughs> um, hand wrote my application. I think I, I think I got, went to the post office and faxed it off and got an interview for this that's job. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a research, like an assistant, research assistant. Yeah, so this was just, I love that, that you're kind of looking, but mum's in foster, she hears about mm. something, so it's all about network. And yep. then you 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 bust uh, to get the application in, and even though you're late, you're the best candidate, and so they, they take you on. Yep, yep. Awesome. So, yep. So tell us, what was the company? What did you do? So it was called... The company was called Network International and and I remember it was, so I was taking over the job of somebody else. She was going, um, having a baby. So I was taking on her role and it was to do basically office admin. Um, so I'd answer the phones, that stuff. There was only, there was a forensic accountant, an ex New South Wales police officer that was the son of my former boss. So there was him. And then there was another ex-federal police officer. Um, and then me. So there was me and these three guys and they used to play cricket in the office and <laughs> and it was just crazy. And so what it's called Business International. It doesn't really Network International. Oh, Network International. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, that doesn't really tell us what you do. No. So, so what was the organization? Do, yeah. So they used to do like fraud investigation and okay. Forensic accounting. So, so business fraud. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Corporate fraud. And yep. so I was there to do office admin and also to, I learned how to, I started to learn how to do background research for their investigations. Okay. And did you like it? Loved it. Yeah. Loved it straight away. Absolutely. Why, Why did you love this loved work? It. Oh, um, I, I love research and I still love research. So I love finding things out and, um, and let's be honest, I'm a bit of a sticky beak. So <laughs> I, I kind of love digging into things and digging into about people. And that's what the job was pretty much. Okay. So how did you like, so this is prior to, like you said, you faxed it there how did you execute those sorts of things? Like now you just jump on Google, you surf the net, mm. there's programs, I'm sure. How did you do it back then? So there was, there was still services out there, but it was a lot more, um, you'd have to do a lot more. So I used to like go to the court, for example. So I was working, it was in Sydney. So I was in the, the center of Sydney, I was working and I would probably have to go, if we were to do a court search, I would go to the court, and look through yeah, files. Yep. Yeah. And you'd look through like microfiche in the, I went to the, used to go to the library sometimes and depending on the investigation, 
Um, but there was stuff online back then. It just wasn't as sophisticated as what it is now. Yeah, okay. So your role, though, was very much about going and sourcing that information, finding yeah. it. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. So how long did you stay with those guys for? So three months into my job there, they were, well, wasn't really an acquisition, but they were all off, including myself, all offered jobs with PricewaterhouseCoopers. And so basically Network International folded and all of us went and worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers and started their forensics, their forensics team. So this is when PricewaterhouseCoopers started to, who were traditionally known as accounting and auditors, they started to diversify into things like broad investigation and they were starting to do like offer legal services and branching out more professional services rather than traditional accounting. So I'm guessing like you said that, so your colleagues are playing cricket in the hallway with uh, Network International. I reckon mm. a step up to Price Waterhouse would have opened doors for you in terms of your own network and, and seeing uh, how a larger organisation works compared to working for a smaller um, yeah. organisation for sure. It changed my life. Yep. It absolutely changed my life. And it was the most amazing experience. I just learnt so much working there and met so many people. And um, it was an amazing experience working there. Okay. Um, Did you find any mentors or people that would help you or looking back now that you've gone, wow, that person really helped shape who I am? Oh, absolutely. So I remember um, it was a very, we were this... um, I don't know, we were like this black fish in a, in, a, in a pool full of orange fish. We didn't fit the mould of PricewaterhouseCoopers okay. and there were definitely some culture um, challenges early on because the people of my level, they were all accountants. They'd all, and most of them had been to private schools They'd been to um, the very prestigious universities in Sydney. And here I am, the girl from Foster, from the University of Western Sydney, um, in this big organisation. So it was, sometimes it was hard to, I guess, make your value kind of known sometimes. Okay. But we definitely broke that down over the years. And I remember... um, I really wanted to, I was the only person, I was in my early, probably about 24, and I wanted to be promoted to manager. And uh, I was the only person, by then I had a team, I had a couple of staff that were working with me doing the background checking and other people of my level didn't have any staff and I had quite a lot more responsibility. And I couldn't understand why I couldn't get promoted. And I remember one of the partners said to me, you need to go and speak to um, Louise and and learn about her journey on how she became a manager. And so I did that and I spoke to Louise and she sat down and she helped me map on what I had to do to become a manager in the organisation. And I went away and I said, right, I'm going to do all of those things. And I went away and I, and I absolutely did all of those things and I got promoted to manager. What was the time frame? Were you happy with the time frame? Yeah, I, that was a year. Yeah. I, was, I was going to say, I, I know, Summer, I reckon you would have wanted to bang down that time frame. It took a year. Well, 
Well, but you've got to go. This is the thing with these big organisations. You've got to fit in their structure. So I missed out on it this particular year, but then I got it the next year. So I, I worked on it over a year. And look, to be honest, in looking back, it was it was the timing was right. Okay, power suit. Yeah. Had you got your suit yet? Oh, I had my suit by now. Nice. Yes, I, I definitely. When I started with Network International, I did go out <laughs> and my my severance pay from um, the shoe shop. I went out and went suit shopping. Good stuff. I could only afford one suit. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. So, but that that must have been. Was that like a moment of? I've kind of made where I want to get to at the start. Was that a, hey, oh, I put yeah. this goal in place to be in Sydney, to you know, be an important player in a business, and here I am going and achieving that? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And so tell us about the, so you, you're helping to essentially build a business within a bigger business mm. at Pricewaterhouse, right? Yeah. How does, how, does how does that fruition, what happens in that role? Step us through it. Um, well, it's exactly as you describe it. I was building a small business in a big organization. So I, I had, to, I learned, this is why it was such a great opportunity. I started to learn as a manager, I started to learn how to run a business. So I would, I would have to, I had targets. I had to manage the time that my staff would spend on things. Cause we had like six minute timesheets and stuff like that. And then if, Sometimes we would need things like um, translations for some of our verifications. So we might be screening somebody in China. So we might need somebody to help us with language capabilities. So we would put the word out within PricewaterhouseCoopers and then that person would come and help you. But then they would clock their time on your, <laughs> on your uh, job. Yep. And if they were quite senior, that you could end up with, the, even back then, the charge-out rates in PwC were humongous. So a manager could be charged out at sort of $300 an hour. So they would spend an hour with you and there goes your budget <laughs> on your job. So you learn, I learn a lot about that and managing costs and um, provisioning for costs and forecasting for things. What about client acquisition? I'm get, guessing the you're, you're starting this within Pricewaterhouse and, and we'll talk a little bit later on about how you then venture out into your own space in this world. I'm guessing that industry was very infant, that there wasn't a huge amount of other players. So convincing organisations that they needed this service, that, that wouldn't have been easy. No, and it, it's, it's still challenging, actually. You're right. And when we were start very early on, all of our work came from US companies or the UK that were much more established markets for background checking. What, why were they using Australian screeners? Was so they would use Australian yeah, business for the, Okay. For the Asia Pacific yep, gotcha. work. So for the timeframes and culture and so forth. So I remember um, we had a couple of clients and we didn't have, we had no Australian clients. So all of our clients were international. So really all of the work that we were doing was in India, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, a little bit of Australian work, but not too much. And probably the biggest thing that um, quite early on, it was actually 2001. We won, we put in a tender and we won a bid to do the screening for American Express Bank. And 
that that changed my career because we, it was a global it was a global contract and those sorts of global contracts were just unheard of at that time so screening was all done out of the us but the global part of it just wasn't done it just didn't hear about it and we won this and i had to so what, hang on when you say we how active were you in that was it some of it won it um it was a team effort so yep. i i i were i would was involved in the presentation and I had a manager that worked with that would sort of take the lead on it at that time. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I started to learn how to write tenders and proposals and quite early on, cause they, anyone that's had to do any of that kind of stuff, it's not fun. Um, so, and so that was probably my first big client presentation. And I remember we won the job and part of it was, we said that we would run some of it out of Sydney and part of it out of Belfast in Northern Ireland. And then we won it, but there was no one in Belfast, Northern Ireland that did this, that, that PwC had that did this work. <laughs> so why <laughs> so, were they included? Because we wanted the global contract. Yeah, and okay. um, so I... Well, being part of that you know, Pricewaterhouse system allows you to do that, doesn't it? That's right. So I got to go over to Belfast, Northern Ireland and set up a team and train a team over there. So it was awesome. Yeah, great. And I think the funniest thing about, one of the key reasons I remember this story as well is we were due to sign the contract with American Express Bank on the day of September 11. Wow. So I remember that kind of delayed things a little bit. And then also... Um, American Express Bank, we were running it from Sydney, but they actually had no Australian presence. And it was quite bizarre that um, we kind of won that work. Yeah, okay. And so, yeah, so now you're running this massive global contract, hey? Yeah, which... Um, Did, can I yeah. ask, because again, we're going to get to where your career takes you and you eventually start your own business. Were you at this point being very mindful of that desire down the track of I want to one day do this for myself. So were you starting a data bank in your brain of how to write tenders and, 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 and being able to utilize that for the future or does it, did it just go organic? Yeah. I would love to say that I had those goals, but I loved being at PwC. I, I just, yeah, okay. I wanted to grow it for PwC and, and, that I wanted to grow the team with them and, and that was probably my goal rather than yep. doing it on my own. Yeah. Okay. So was, was it PwC, were you at PwC when you decided to come home to the, the, the greater foster area and live in Newcastle? Well, the greater foster area, I like that. Um, well, we ended up um, losing American Express Bank because of um, the collapse of Enron and I don't know, Younger listeners won't know any of this stuff, but um, that changed the global face of how accounting firms dealt with um, other clients. So basically, we were conflicted out of the American Express bank work because PwC was their auditor. Oh, so okay. whilst this was a big deal for me, um, but an audit client to somebody like PwC is worth millions of dollars, whereas my little screening business was worth at that time, like 300,000 or something like that. So um, basically my big client had gone um, 
and then at this point my old boss had left and set up his own company and then he said hey you've lost american express bank come and work for me and set up my screening arm so that's what i did so i ended up working for him at at risk group and and i was with them with him for 18 months and then that's when i decided to set up and come home yep so you've only ever applied for really one job or two maybe if you count suzanne gray yep yeah yeah that's awesome so yeah that showcases how good you must be at what you do for people to go hey come over and work for me oh you make me blush Craig. <laughs> <laughs> no it's true it's so a tell unique us about, industry it's a unique yeah. industry definitely so tell us about that then so you're in sydney you make the decision. So you're like what I'm going to say is probably 30% of my business, Novocastrians slash Fosterites that decide to come home uh, at some stage. There's a draw to come closer to yep. home. Um, what was that draw for you? Why, why did you come home? So my, I was getting married and um, my, my husband, my now husband um, was, he was also from further up the North Coast, but he went to university in Newcastle and he had family in Newcastle. And he said, he'd been talking to me for a while. He said, we should go back to Newcastle because Sydney, um, we, we lived in an apartment and we, our long-term plan was, you know, we'd rather a house and a, better, a bit of a better lifestyle. We used to spend um, two to three hours a day just traveling to and from work. Yeah. So I think it, we wanted a better lifestyle. So did you come though with the decision that I want to have a crack at this spot for myself when I come to Newcastle or were you going to just come and try and find a job with a local big firm? Yep. So I no, I just decided I was going to leave the industry, um, have a break because by that stage I'd been in the industry for, I don't know, eight or nine years or something. And I said, oh, it's time for a break, do something different. So I started looking for work in Newcastle. Okay. Um, something different. So what were you looking for? What sort of work? Um, I think that this is where it was kind of hard because I spoke to a couple of recruiters and they couldn't transfer my skills very well. Yeah, they probably didn't understand what you did. Yeah, I, I definitely, because it was such a weird skill set that I had and I was definitely in a very niche industry. And so I think that the opportunities that were around were things like maybe an office manager, that sort of stuff. And yeah, it didn't really grab me so much. And I think then I met two particular recruiters. Tell us, tell us that story. So Jane and Judy, similar <laughs> to me. This is our story, Craig. That's right, it's our story. <laughs> tell us our story. Yeah, so then I met... Um, so I applied for, sent my resume to a couple of, to an executive recruitment company called Hunter Executive Recruitment. And that's when I met um, Judy and Jane and they kind of said, have you ever thought of starting your own business? And I, at this point I'd done it twice already before I'd grown this, started this business and grown it. Um, and I was, and I knew how much hard work it was. And I was a bit like, oh. And my husband said, you know, you're young enough and, we, you know, we're just 
getting married. So we don't. I was going to say that you, you were literally getting married. Like we I, were. I remember because right. I think I I think we we both met Jane and Judy around a similar time frame. You might yeah. have met them earlier, but you didn't start because of the the wedding. And I started maybe a couple of weeks before you. Mm. So that sort of time frame because you were on your honeymoon. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So we got, I think I met them in the June or something. Yep. And then got married in August. Uh, and then we're on a honeymoon and started at the beginning of October. Yeah. Yeah. And I started in September. So yep. it's been about four weeks. Yep. Yeah. So it's, so it's nice to have that, that confidence, wasn't it? Like I was the same. So that's, I'd met Jane and Judy and talked to them about some HR roles, but they kind of tapped me and said, Oh, have you thought about running your own business? And I had, I'd, I'd been doing some planning around what I wanted to do and just didn't have the confidence, I suppose. And then they, they gave me the confidence to um, have a, have a go. And then to be honest, it was nice to do it with someone next door like you. So oh, totally. We, we could uh, have frustrations together. I remember going <laughs> for um, our first ever corporate photo shoot together, um, get our headshots <laughs> done uh, we would spitball things off each other. There's so many times in the little lunch room where we just talk about what was going on, I suppose. And I, I think thankful looking back to have that. So yeah, it was oh, a good time. Definitely. And I think, um, starting a new business and, and even dragging each other along to like networking events and mm. whilst we were, our businesses were separate and we we're kind of, we we're doing our own thing. It was good to have, like somebody going through exactly the same thing at the same time. And cause it was really hard. Those, those early years were really tough. Oh, I still remember like, so you, know, you were on your honeymoon, you'll probably drink cocktails. Who knows? <laughs> I remember walking in that first day and Jane, uh, Jane was there, but Judy was away as well. So it was Jane and I in an office and I went, all right, what do I do now? <laughs> Literally, what do yep. I do now? <laughs> and did you, I, I did the same thing and I sat down at the desk. I don't even, did you have a computer? I, I don't even know if you, I had a computer. I had a desktop. Uh, yeah. They, yeah. They, they, they'd organized um, all yeah. that. They'd, we'd, we'd put some money in and they'd organized all that sort of stuff before I started. And so, yeah, so I had a desktop computer and, yeah. and I think I'd just gotten an email address and I just started going through and just populating, I think a spreadsheet to go, okay, target customers, let's start sending them emails. We'll start ringing them in the next couple of days. But it was kind of like, what do I do? It was. I think the first thing I did is I was like, because I needed um, processes and I needed to set up my oh, research so much, network. You were so much more organized than I was. Oh, but it took a while. And I'm the first thing I did was made a letterhead. Yep. <laughs> that was, a, used the logo, made a letterhead. Because we did do all of the logos and everything before, I guess, day one. But um but it was the first thing I did, made a logo, uh, made a yeah. letterhead. So this, this organization we're talking about is called People Check. Yes, so sorry. People, <laughs> yeah, People Check started so uh, almost 14 years ago now. So, mm. um, and so it started as, as one, well, one person and two, two business partners and a dodgy recruitment guy in the next office. <laughs> tell, tell, tell us about what happens to People Check. Um, so the first two years were really tough. I have to say, and probably the first 18 months. And actually I would see Craig next door and you were getting clients and you were, you were, you were, you were doing really great. And I was like, Oh, I just wasn't really getting. You just had a longer tail than I did. That's all it was. 
you yeah, had to build, was... you had to build processes like you say and and there was no one doing what you were doing in Newcastle. Yeah. And I Newcastle... could go and steal recruitment customers. <laughs> Literally that's basically what I did. Well, I guess and Newcastle's not really our target and still isn't really a yeah. target market for background checking because it's kind of high volume, low margin yeah. business. So um, most of our customers were, were to come out of um, either internationally or the capital cities, really. And so, how do you do that out of Newcastle? Well, you can be anywhere, though. So yep. the work can be done anywhere, and even more so these days. And it it can absolutely be done wherever. It can all be done remotely. But I guess that we did have to commit to like client meetings and all of those sorts of things in Sydney. And, and, and that was fine. It was getting the client meetings that was hard. Once we got in front of people, um, people could recognise, started to recognise the experience because it was still such an emerging industry as it is still is today. It's still emerging. But even back then, sort of that sort of 13, 14 years ago, um, people were still starting to look around. And then when we could get in front of people uh, and they could hear the depth of the experience that I had, because it is quite unique in our industry, um, then people could understand what they needed to do. And that's when we started to build our client base. Yeah. So, but you talk about that, that first two years and I remember those two years being tough. You were also about to journey into another career, weren't you? In terms of being a mum. I was. And you know what? The reason that that kind of happened is like a year in, I was like, I don't even know if this business is going to survive. And I said, we sort of said, well, let's just see if we have a baby and whatever. And then if the business isn't going to happen, then I'll be a mum. Just be a mum, hey? And, and then... So, yeah, so I got pregnant with my first son and as Murphy's Law happens, that's when things started to move. <laughs> <laughs> did. And I remember you hired a key staff member and then you yep. came back after maternity leave. And then what happens? How, how fast does it grow from there? Um, so once, when I was literally eight, eight months pregnant, I think I was two weeks out from my due date, we secured our first big client and that was Zurich Financial Services. And that was a huge, huge win for us. And we had little clients leading up to that. And then, um, and that's when we, so we had a new, we had my first staff member and, and then things started to move quite, quite rapidly. So then we started to get quite good momentum. We got a lot of referrals from Zurich and we started to get the reputation in the market as people check. So people started to find me and, and we started to build that, that reputation, I think. Okay. So tell us about the business. So it's, like I said, it's 14 years almost. Um, How big is it now? So people check, um, we've got sort of 30, 30, I think today, 32 staff now. And um, the business grew over those years. There were some definitely some key times that the business grew exponentially. And um, I think the second time of that was when I had my second son. <laughs> you should <laughs> have your babies. My, I know when I have my children, <laughs> it just seems to go insane. And 
So that was another time that we secured quite a bit. So client. let's talk about that. Did, did, did you, you then probably didn't get the traditional maternity leave like most people do, did you? You were probably working. No, there was no maternity leave. Yeah. In yeah. fact, I, th- I remember, um, I remember being in labour with my second son and I was working and I was talking to somebody in a government agency and I said, I think I have to go. I'm, I think I'm in labour. <laughs> and he was born like six hours later. So. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you don't, I think when you've got a small business, you, especially a growing small business, you just, you don't get, you don't get that kind of break. Yeah. Did you envisage building it to 30 odd staff? Is that what the goal was? Um, uh, I always wanted to grow it and I wanted to grow it. Um, I don't think I ever really had a cap or a particular yeah, goal figure. like that, I think. But I wanted it to be a solid, profitable business that was sustainable. T- tell me about the the people in the people check business you you've obviously got this background of background screening and you've built teams in the past how did you manage building that team and and has that been something you enjoyed yeah i love people and the staff so my very first employee elaine is still works in the business and she's just amazing and has come You're crazy elaine's a crazy crazy person she is she's <laughs> she's still crazy in so many beautiful ways um so she still she was my de- default summer when you was. went off on uh, maternity leave <laughs> she was she was so and she's just um, her career is going in lots of different directions now. And then the um, the next employee that I had was Leah. And Leah, I recruited when I was at PwC. So Leah, um, Leah and I went to risk together. I then left risk, set up people check. Leah stayed at risk. Leah then came back and worked with me at people check. So Leah and I have now been working together for 19 years, which is just <laughs> insane. And so I think I've got, and then my one of my other core managers, Lisa, she just celebrated yet just yesterday her ten year anniversary. So that's awesome. Having those really key staff has been really important for the growth of the business. Yeah, and you've built key relationships with them. Obviously, like you say, nineteen years, yeah. ten years, fourteen years. They're, yeah, they're family. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The success. T- tell us about what happens yeah. next with People Check. So the business, we keep growing the business. And then um, I think probably the biggest change for us, um, the business really started to blossom probably in the last um, couple of years. And that's when we really started to become quite profitable. And our um, and it was probably timely. I started to get really heavily involved with the Industry Association for Background Checking. So once my kids got to a certain age where I could travel a little bit more, um, our industry association is in the US. So I started to get involved in that and I became part of the executive team for the APAC for the the associations called the PBSA, so the Professional Background Screening Association. And then I became... Younger listeners, these things aren't paid. This is just just you wanting to be a, a part of a bigger network and broaden your skill set and your knowledge and network, I suppose. So, yeah, that, that's something that we'll get to, but it pays dividends in the long run, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And so I made a conscious effort to 
I was asked to be a part of the executive for a while and I just couldn't do it with children. And then um, when I started to get involved in that, so I was put on the board and last year I was sort of chair of the board. So there was a progression process with that. And, but what that did is that the, it's, this industry is huge in the US. It's, it's a billion dollar industry. It's massive in the US. So being involved in that industry and being a leader in APAC in the association meant that you were very, people were seeing who, you, who I was and especially the Australian accent in that environment, everybody remembers you, I guess with a name like Summer as well, people remember you and the Aussie accent. So your profile really increases and everybody started to know who I was. People would reach out to me from all over the place and you really develop those relationships. Yeah, awesome. And I think that's when um, a couple of years ago, we got a bit of a knock on the door. Um, somebody was interested in buying people to check and that ended up leading to um, an acquisition. We were bought by hire right last year. Um, and that so let's step me through that. So as a business owner, um, that's something you don't, you know, you, it's, it's, it's not black or white sometimes where, yep, sell it or not sell it. There's mm. an emotional attachment. There's like, we just oh, talked about the yep. family that you've built up. Tell us about that decision and, and, and the process that you took to at first get that inquiry, but then explore it. So definitely. So I think I it, the business was getting to a position where it needed, um, we were at that point where we had a really good set of customers. We had loyal customers, what we still do. Um, but there needed to be quite a big investment in technology and to take the business to the next level. So whilst that was something that I would be prepared to do, I had to still have two, had two business partners in yep. Judy and Jane that were at a different stage in their life and weren't really wanting to do that. So I think I still wanted to be really involved in the industry and I felt like I've, I've still got a lot to offer the industry. So I wanted to stay in the industry. And, and I think for Judy and Jane, they were ready to move Capitalise on their investment. Yeah, yeah. And it was something that we did discuss together and we, we kind of talked about how we might do that. And when this opportunity came up, it, the fit was really a good fit. And because um, sometimes... People had come to us before, but they didn't want either me involved. They just wanted to sort of take the business, but I wanted to continue to be involved and higher right wanted somebody to run the business. So and does that, you know, in a, you know, we've seen or businesses get bought out. They, they call it golden handcuffs where the owner has to you know be a part of that for the next two, three years or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Did you, you didn't want handcuffs. You wanted to be a part of it. Yep. Yep. So now yep. what's your job title? So I'm now country manager and so part of the broader higher right family. So, and I still run the Australian and we're still called, yeah, I still run Australia and it's my job to still grow Australia. Yep. Um, But now I've got um, a lot more support and 
the backing of a big organization. So, so well, what about personally for your career? So you've been able to grow people check, sell it as part of a partnership, now become a part, key part of a bigger global business where you're the country manager. Is there career opportunities within higher right? I think definitely. So yeah. I think that there's still a lot that, I think a lot of people have asked me this. They've sort of said, well, why would you sell your own business? Why would, when you can kind of run it yourself and do it yourself? And whilst I agree to a certain point, there was a, there's a lot of stresses that come with a business and there's a lot of responsibility, especially when you've got kind of 32 staff and um, all of the associated issues that come with that and the responsibility. You've still got you those have. issues as country manager. You do. Um, but now I can share those issues. So yeah, now good. I guess the best way to describe it, it's not my house on the line anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think but the, the pressure over as the business grew definitely got intense and it was, it was difficult. Okay. Um, so, and I thought as well for my career growth, I'd got the business to a great level, but I think there's still a lot I can learn to take it to a greater level. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Cause that was, I suppose what my next question was going to be that, yeah, most people would have this personality style if they've owned a business that they want to, they want to be on the driver's seat. They want to run it or they mm-hmm. want, want it. Whereas you've kind of gone, okay, I've been there, done that, got it to a point where I'm not really comfortable or desire to do that. I want some help to drive it. And I've got help from a larger company. That's essentially sums it up. Yeah. And I do get, I still get a lot of autonomy. I still get to run the business um, on a day-to-day basis. So I'm still, still doing that. And so I, I kind of, yes, it's got, it's some things are, are more challenging, but I, the overall benefits of what I want to get out of my career when I, when I, because when I, when people start to talk about background checking, I want them to think of me. I want them yeah, to right. think of Summer McCosker, and I want them to say that that I've been a pioneer in this industry and growing this industry, and that's why my efforts with the um, the professional background screening associations are so important because there's so many industries that still don't screen, but the risks to your business are, are huge and. Oh. It's crazy. It is. So it's such a cheap thing to do. You know, a a cheap uh, background check could cost as little as, as small as $50, but you can get some really good checks for, you know, $150, yet you read about frauds and things (laughs) that go wrong. It's similar to us, you know. Yeah. We're outsourced recruitment people. Oh, I can do it myself. Why would I bother spending it with a professional? It's the same background screen. I can do a reference check or I know Mary, Mary's, Mary's, what's her name's cousin. So she'll be right. Mm. And then Mary embezzles a hundred grand. So, you know, exactly. it's, it's, it's funny. And, and Aussies are like that. I, we had a company that uh, we'd uh, help them from a HR perspective with, uh, there was an, a person within the organization that was embezzling money. And uh, I said to them, would, when, we, when, they, when that person was arrested and left the organization, would you like me to help them recruit a new person? And they said, oh, no, we'll, we've got someone in mind. And I said, well, please promise me you're going to ring Summer and do a background screen on this person. <laughs> and I found out they didn't. And I was just That's like, my God, like, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars and they wouldn't spend me away. 300 to just, just have peace of mind. Now, that ultimately doesn't stop the new person from doing it, but it gives you a better chance. 
of, of having knowledge that they're not going to do it. That's right. So you can't eliminate risk, but you can mitigate mm. against it, definitely. So, yeah. and, and I think that that's what I want more. I genuinely want to see organisations and businesses, big and small, protect themselves and, and protect. It's not just about avoiding the frauds or all of those things. It's about protecting your people that are your most important asset. Um, so if you've got somebody that's sitting there that's got lots of offences for assault or, or something like that, you don't know how they're going to behave in front of a client or in a in a social situation where you've got alcohol or all of those sorts of things. Like it puts your business at risk and can put your staff at risk. So I think I want to. That's 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 my personal passion that I want to see more organisation screening. I like that you want a legacy, though, that you want people to think background screening, think some of them That's That's impressive that you want to be that, that deep in it after, you know, decades or however long you last in the industry. That's great. Yeah, definitely. And I want them to think, obviously, now I want them to think some of higher right or some of people check because eventually the people check brand um, eventually probably won't be around, which is a little, that's a little sad, but but that's okay. Yeah, but yes and no. It's the same. Like, like you say, I think you're intertwined. Summer Makoska is intertwined with people check. Yeah. So people think that, um, and I'm sure the same thing will happen with hire, right? So um, what, what about the, you've just mentioned that eventually we'll, we'll, you know, that branding may drop off, but surely you look back with pride. Like I know even I do. And I, I remember reading the article um, on LinkedIn or somewhere when you announced that you'd been uh, purchased. And I was like, that is so awesome. How cool is that? That this little business that started when this lady was on her honeymoon, essentially, has grown <laughs> uh, to the depths where someone from America wants to buy the business and acquire her. You, you've got to have some pride around that and be proud oh, of what you've done. Absolutely, absolutely. And to give, and to give. Um, my, I guess my other passion is seeing because we predominantly employ young women in in the business and only have three boys in the business um bless them and and i and i want to see young women have careers and they don't and i think my other the other thing that i'm sort of passionate about is that you don't necessarily have to do a university degree to do it and to be successful in business or in your career, even though I mean, I've got two degrees and whoopie do, and that's fantastic. But I don't necessarily the trades that are out there and the other qualifications that you can get is is so valuable um, that you know, it doesn't university is not for everybody. And yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I love seeing young women, especially, come in to our organisation as trainees, and then I'm seeing them develop into supervisors and really develop their skills. And that I, I love even, seeing that growth. Even your degree, Summer, if if you left higher right tomorrow and applied for a job, do you really think that's the reason why someone's going to hire you? Or is it because of your extensive experience oh, in network? That's it. And and isn't that the message though as well? Like Absolutely. When you're sitting there doing your HSC exams, it's all stressful. And then you go through university and you're sitting there doing your university exams and that's all stressful. But you can't put a price on experience and and um, common sense. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, the 
All right. So, Summer, we have a time machine in our podcast. We're going to rewind the clock to 20-year-old Summer McCosker. If you could go back and give her advice, given what you know now, what would it be? You know what? I would probably reiterate, I would actually probably say, well done. And I would probably also say, take the opportunity take the opportunities as they come up because don't regret not taking an opportunity. And I feel like that I've kind of done that and it's led me in these, this weird direction. And, and as long as you are committed and you work hard, you will find your, your, end, your, your goal. And it is really satisfying when you get there, but keep setting those goals as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate listening to your career arc and and the success that it's been. And um, yeah, we wish you all the best into the future. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Summer. Oh, 